It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts here today with my co-host, Scott Zeitzer. This show is focused on the many ways healthcare is changing and how the consumerization of healthcare is affecting practices. We talk about this topic on a regular basis at p3practicemarketing.com, and we invite you to be a part of that conversation. Today, our show is entitled, The Increasing Importance of Telehealth for Small Practices. Scott, we've been talking about telehealth quite a bit. It's it's something that just keeps on getting more and more and more part of the conversation. We've talked some about, we kind of hinted at this a little bit in the last episode about, you know, some of the ways that we've seen some of our providers start integrating this, even including things like starting to push telehealth appointments more for people that are kind of remote as patients and are starting to think about coming in to see somebody that may be like the expert for a particular type of care. So this is definitely something that we're going to be talking about more and more. And there's, there's lots of good reasons here. So let me kind of uh, get the show introduced and then Scott, I'll let you take it away with some facts for us to, to kind yes, of really of course, ponder. No We've got lots of, lots of data to, to pull into this conversation. So while COVID may have accelerated the implementation and use of telehealth and telemedicine for a lot of practices, studies and polls are indicating that patients see value in it in this whole process beyond just what COVID safety introduced to this, right? So practices who continue to find ways to provide convenient care to patients through telemedicine can differentiate themselves from competing practices. There's so many people that have, you know, taken on telehealth and a lot of them didn't like it, you know, whether it was was on the side of the provider, on the side of the patient, you know, just because if you didn't really integrate it into your practice, it was just kind of a meh experience. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So everybody just take a step back for a second. I don't think anybody really utilized services as much as they do now, like Amazon and shipped and delivery, you know, and now it's like almost like normal. And I think telehealth is going to be like that. And so how you integrate it into your practice, I think is critical. But, but, you know, the reason I say how you integrate it is I think telehealth is here to stay. So there was this McKinsey study that basically said at the beginning of the pandemic, I think usage went up uh, quite high. Usage is 38 times higher than it was pre-pandemic. Now we've got 40% of the survey respondents are saying that they would continue to use telemedicine and only 11% prior, right? So you've jumped to 40% who still want to utilize telehealth. Now, those are your patients, everybody. And that's why I'm saying like, whether you should use telehealth, I, I, I kind of say like, no, I think it's more like defining better when you should use it and how to integrate it into your practice are the questions. Please don't walk away from telehealth if you want to have a healthy, strong practice. I think it's going to be part of a lot of successful shifts in the way we take care of patients. I mean, Michael, we've all got families and we know how much time is required when it comes to seeing the doctor. And if you can save some time, avoid sick people, 
I've got a new grandchild and I can tell you that my daughter, the first time mom is uh, like every other first time, you know, every time there was a sniffle, it was like, ah, and um, I was talking to my daughter about like, you sure you want to bring that kid in every time the kid has a sniffle because do they have a wellness area? Where are you bringing this kid? Because it might be better just to make a phone call. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Trying to find that balance between when is the right time to get, into the practice when's the, the or the hospital or when's the right time to stay away we actually just had something this week for our family where we just have like a routine thing where we go in and you know all the care that's needed to make sure that this group of patients goes this way and this group of patients you know in the midst midst of delta you know happening here so it, anytime that we can avoid that man it just makes life so much more easy you know just so much more refreshing and so much less to have to think about we just did uh, our first trip, you know, our first work trip in a year oh, and a half. Yes, yes. And the whole process, I mean, everywhere we were at, it was just so, is this okay? Is this all right? Is Should I step outside for this part? Or is it, you know, and, and even if you're outside, is that enough? And so all of those COVID factors that are still going, right? Like that, yeah. that are still kind of going up and down and, and surging and, and retreating at different times. Like that's very definitely a factor, but yeah, it just, it's just convenient too. <laughs> that's that's yeah, really helpful. That convenient part, Michael, I think I want everybody who's in a practice listening to this to really hear that, that convenience part. A lot of practices are essentially wired under the guise of, hey, I'm awesome at what I do. So they'll line up to see me kind of a thing. And I know no doctor walks around thinking like that, but there is a kind of inferred kind of thing. It's like, Hey man, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm busy. For those of you who are not surgeons, it's a long day for a surgeon. So, you know, they get up at the crack of dawn and they're rounding on their patients and maybe they're doing surgery. Maybe they're going right to clinic and then they're, they are doing surgery. Then they're going to go around on some patients again. And believe me, it's a long day. So I get why there's some exhaustion and and you throw in like, Michael, what we're talking about, how nervous patients are being in the hospital. Imagine all those, you know, physicians and caretakers and surgeons, et cetera, et cetera, trying to deal with that every day, you know, in a hospital filled with people who may or may not have COVID and it's not going away so fast. So when we combine all of that and you think about all of those patients who basically said like, huh. I was able to get taken care of and didn't have to go in. Like I could hop on a Zoom call and talk about, I don't know. I get it. You're not going to go in to talk about, uh, hey, wow, I I fell and I don't know if I broke my bone or not. It's like, well, you're going to have to come in and get an x-ray, man. I mean, you know, I'm going to have to go take a look at that, feel that, look at the x-ray, et cetera. Like I get all that, everybody. I'm not thinking telemedicine is going to replace that. Uh, We're going to send you an x-ray machine. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are certain parts of the process of taking care of a patient where telemedicine is fine. Yeah. It's funny because I was actually, we went down, um, to go to go deal with some of this, you know, regular appointment that we had. Yeah. And, you know, Scott, you and I, we're recording from our respective homes right now. And so our company is all, you know, we're remote work, all this kind of stuff. So I'm taking my family member down to go to this regular trip. And this is one that you have to do in the hospital. And so we're, we're on our way down and we get caught at the train. You know, so we're, you know, if you're in New Orleans area, we're on River Road and we get stuck at the train and we're just like, 
There's a oh. huge long line. And the whole time that I'm sitting there, like waiting for what, however long this train is, I'm, I'm saying to my family, you know, it's really nice to work from home because I don't deal, deal with commutes. I don't do this kind of stuff, yeah. you know, like yeah. Yeah. when's the last time I've had to sit and wait on a train, but it, it's, it's so funny because it's just, that's our minds are getting so rewired. If you do remote work, if you do they remote, are. anything like remote they shopping and, remote and, and frankly, a major part of the country is getting rewired. So I get it, you know, especially for practices that are out there. Hey, man, they still have to go to work, right? Yeah. They are not managing their patients remotely. I mean, there are some support staff that are, don't get me wrong. I've talked to a couple of not office managers, but support staff uh, that are now working from home. Great. You know, I'm, I'm all for it. But, you know, let's face it. The bulk of the practice is having to go in and go to work and take care of their patients. Uh, that being said, all of those patients now are being rewired. I think there's a managed healthcare executive article. And by the way, I want to give proper credit. Those numbers about being 38 times, not percent, higher. That was a McKinsey study. This managed healthcare executive article cited a recent national consumer survey from SBH Analytics. And this is a key takeaway. 70% of patients preferred virtual visits over an in-person to save time. So we've got like, so I get it. Like right now, it is Delta and Michael, we were a little scared being in Vegas during Delta. Everybody, we had dinner outside. It was 104 degrees. And the people in Vegas were looking at us like we were out of our minds. And we looked at them like, no, no, you're crazy. We're outdoors and we're a little bit safer. But that's not only going to be a safety issue. Like, I get it. Like right now, Delta is rampant and I don't want to go anywhere unless I have to. So I certainly wouldn't want to go in for my third follow-up on X. Can I just get on you know, a Zoom call and, you know, you can take, we can have a conversation. So I really do suggest to, to everybody out there, have an open mind because a lot of medical doctors, surgeons, et cetera, are wired in such a way where, you know, habits like for uh, even more so for my uh, surgeon friends, like there's a, we have a process. This is how we handle the process. We have a process. This is how we handle that process. It's very important to understand that those processes are changing. And it's not just changing what you're doing to keep up. You could change what you're doing to actually get ahead. And I think that's a critical thing. So I go back to that 70% of patients preferred the virtual visit. Yeah. Michael, yeah. That's a high number, man. Yes, we know that it's more convenient. Yes, we agree that like people are definitely interested in this as a concept. I, one thing that I, I wanted us to kind of start pivoting towards and, and take a look at is what smaller practices can be doing in the midst of all this. Because I think one of the things that any kind of technological change, it's always assumed that like the the bigger organizations that just have the bigger budgets that can make all these kinds of things, like obviously they're going to be the ones that can make this work more easily. Right. Yeah. And it's they got staff, they have people to think it through. Yeah. All the different things. And so there's a, an article that came out on M Health and M Health Intelligence, which covered a survey from Correo. And it highlighted how small independent practices are using telemedicine as a way to compete with larger groups. It's that whole, you know, how does, which organization can pivot faster, right? And that's, that's, right. that's really where a small practice has, has some advantage. So according to this report from Correo, the telehealth adoption rate among practices went from 22% in 2019 to 41% in 2020. By the end of 2020, telehealth adoption rate had increased to 80%. 
Now, wow. there's a lot of factors there, obviously. I mean, we know of practices that had to close down for a bit. You know, they weren't able to see patients. So telehealth was really the only option they had. Yeah. Yes, of course, adoption rates can increase there. But I, I want to pull just a few quotes here. So like the Creo report suggests that small and independent care providers found that telehealth improved how they delivered care by not only improving interactions with their patients, but reducing the office-based delays and bottlenecks that affect yeah. outcomes. Right. You know, again, convenience, but also just, man, we just get some of the stuff out of the way. There's some interesting things that can happen there. I think it is critical. There's always going to be a conversation about change and adopting, et cetera. So first of all, in fairness to all the practices out there, the health insurance companies held up telehealth quite a bit. They didn't want to pay the same amount of money. They made it more difficult to utilize, et cetera. And then when COVID hit, kind of the insurance companies were forced to start uh, paying for telehealth visits. And I believe that they will have to continue to pay for telehealth. So for everybody listening in there, you know, if you're a medical practice pre-COVID, telehealth was a more difficult conversation to have. You weren't getting reimbursed fairly uh, for it, et cetera. And now you are. And now that you are, and to your point, Michael, it's always going to be that balance, right? So, hey, I got this huge, huge group of 50 people or we're part of a hospital. Well, let me tell you something, man. We've worked with hospitals a long time. Hospitals don't change that quickly for a lot of good reasons, sincerely. And so it takes a while to pivot. And when you have a small practice, don't give up so fast, to your point, Michael. You're right. It's like, hey, you know, if the three of you just slow down long enough or the four of you or whatever that number is for your very small practice and just go like, hey, man, how do you want to do this? And give it a try. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's a lot easier to make those decisions, et cetera. Yeah. I really, I really do think so. Hey, everyone. It's Michael here with your P3 Pro Tip for the week. If you have a lot of good written content on your website, but feel like it's lacking visuals or need something extra to take it over the top, give video a try. Video can be a really engaging way to convey important information to patients and help them learn more about your treatment philosophy if they don't have time to read the full page. It can also help patients feel like they are getting to know you a bit more so that they can feel more comfortable for that first appointment. To get started, you might try a couple of videos explaining key procedures, patient FAQs, or walkthrough recovery protocols. Another effective option is an introduction to the practice where you can explain what patients can expect from you. Start with a few videos and see what kind of response you get. It just might be the thing you need to take your online marketing to the next level. Yeah, so if you're just joining us, this is the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. I'm Michael Roberts, and I'm talking with Scott Zeiser today. We're looking at some of the advantages that small practices may be able to have when it comes to reacting to this force of consumerism, this need for more and more telehealth, and how convenient it is and how many ways that it can help. And it goes beyond just pure convenience and just COVID safety, we're also looking at some of the facts that like, hey, it gets some of the office office right. complications kind of out of the way as well. So it's interesting as well, like this is something that um, we actually have a client that's that's working on one of the practices that we work with, a practice that's even partnered with physical therapists yeah. who can help guide their patients through some post-surgical exercises via telemedicine. So, you know, that Again, physical therapy, you think of one of those things where you got to go somewhere and you got to go into that facility. And so here's some an orthopedic provider partnering with PT to make that that sort of recovery process all the easier. Again, this isn't necessarily the kind of thought process that was happening pre-COVID. 
right? This is a, a big win that can come out of po- not post COVID, but out of this stage Endemic of COVID, COVID or whatever you want right. to call it, right? Or for long it's going. Yeah, you know, think about it. If you're in the standard practice, just seeing patients, and you're running from patient to patient especially now with COVID, the amount of cleaning that has to happen between each patient in that room, where people are, how you're staggering them, et cetera. And imagine having, you know, six or seven patients that you could just flip through. Now, deciding which patients at what point in their care can take advantage of telemedicine and which ones need to come in. I get it. That's an independent decision for each of practice out there and how they manage their care. But it's there. Yeah. You know, Scott, I actually just yesterday had a a conversation with someone that'll be a guest on the show coming up in a few episodes. But this process of talking about not only just making it easier for the patient, but it's interesting to think about what potential revenue lines are available for practices. When you start thinking about these like new ways of delivering care, new partnerships that you can set up, maybe that's a new hire for your practice. But some of those different ways that you can be delivering care in the environment that we're in, if you can focus on convenience more, if you can offer more service lines, either within your practice or very closely aligned with somebody, like there's a lot of opportunity here that I don't want us to kind of brush by too quickly because this concept of the small practice being able to pivot, these are the ways like adding on additional revenue lines, be just implementing service lines that implementing telehealth in a way that's convenient. And that is is covering as many areas as you can, but there's some opportunities for real entrepreneurial thinking here and better care at the same time. So like, yes, this is a very rocky time. It's very frustrating. It's very up and down, but this is, if you can step back a moment and take a look at these processes, a real opportunity for practice growth. Without a doubt, you know, you think about all the practices out there that started investing in ambulatory surgical centers. They got frustrated with hospitals. They didn't think they were getting the OR time that they needed. And this is a perfect example of where, you know, there really was kind of a win-win there. You know, the the practices were able to be entrepreneurial and potentially make more money because they now had their own OR surgical suites in an ambulatory surgical center. They were able to, we had a great conversation. I don't remember which specific number in the podcast it was where we talked to Dr. James Ballard up in Portland about how they just fine-tuned their process at the ambulatory surgical center. He referred to it as almost like a, a pilot who's got a series of checklists that he goes through and and everybody was in tune and what a win-win that was. You know, the patient was better taken care of, et cetera. Well, now COVID comes in ambulatory surgical centers. When you talk about entrepreneurialism, it's like how many patients were like, oh, I don't have to go into the hospital. Now I get it. There's not like, it's like there was a magic wand, like you're never going to get COVID if you go to an ambulatory surgical center, but certainly it's just, you know, risks, how many risks you're going to take, et cetera. And they, uh, the ASC, the ambulatory surgical center was certainly a better option. It's a perfect example there of entrepreneurialism. Uh, Telehealth is another example where, Hey, now maybe you could see 10 patients and take great care of them. Bing, Mm -hmm. bing, bing. Cause you didn't have to wait. 10, 15 minutes or whatever that time was to wipe everything down, make sure everything was good, et cetera, before you saw your next patient. And so the patient was happier, you're happier, et cetera. These are really, really helpful things. What's interesting through these different processes, we're talking about how practices are able to take advantage of of some of these 
current scenarios that we're in. I think the practices that are able to take care of this the most, that are able to jump on these these opportunities the most, are practices that were already trying something pre-COVID. Yes. yes, there are opportunities. Step back, take a look, see what you can do to, to make that pivot. This is actually something that I sat in on a session at a recent conference and was able to hear some about how hospitals that had really already invested in things like machine learning, that had already invested in different ways of trying new modes of improving their care opportunities, improving you know convenience opportunities, these sorts of things. They're the ones that were able to find that aha moment. We've been pushing all these different things and then, oh, here's the pandemic. Here's this scenario at which we can go like, oh, all these things we've been doing, now we can kind of put them into place. So I think that like, as we're talking through this, yes, here are some immediate opportunities, but I think some of those ideas that you may, that practices may have been kind of kicking around for a while, they've been trying to figure out what's the right environment for it. What's the right time to try this new mode of delivery. These are really the opportunities where, you know, go back and reevaluate those ideas that you've been kicking around too. I mean, there's the things that are, that are kind of proven models. Yes. Do more telehealth, that sort of thing, but also take a look at those ideas that you have had and haven't known how to implement, is this the right time? Is this the right set of circumstances to jump in on that? There are so many practices, Michael, that we speak with where we have a very similar conversation. Hey, I'm incredibly busy, but I'm not seeing the kind of patients I want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm packed with patients, but these are not the types of patients that I want to see. And there's a variety of reasons for that. And the hardest thing to overcome when we're talking to these particular clients is slowing down enough to think it through. It's like, I can't talk to you about how to get better patients because I'm too busy seeing the patients I don't want to see, but I know I need to take care of them. And it's like, Mm. yeah, that's a warning sign, man. You know, I get it. Go Go do what you need to go do right now, but you better figure out a way to slow down enough to think. And if you don't, well, then you're going to be stuck in this same pattern, man. It's not like it's going to magically change on its on its own. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there. It's like, man, you know, I'm supposed to only see 40, but I see 50 or 60, but I'm not making the money I'm supposed to make. I'm not seeing the patients I want to go see. They're not happy. I'm not happy. It's like, well, you got to slow down, man. You know, and you got to give yourself time to breathe and to think. It's so critical. So, Michael, that whole point about like the people who were entrepreneurial before being more open to new ideas. Well, yeah. You know, and so for all of you who are listening, going, I just don't have time to be entrepreneurial. It's like you kind of do, but you're going to have to. It's it's hard. You know, it's it's almost like I always kid with people about exercise because like I just can't get started exercising. And I happen to be a person who exercises a lot. And I always tell them, like, uh, uh, do one push up a day you know, for a week. And they're like, one, what's that going to do? And it's like, it's going to get you in a habit of doing a push up. Yeah. Next week you can do five, 10, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, that you want to go. Sure. Do. And the same thing goes like, I get it. You're very busy. Take out 15 minutes a day. Stop it. You have 15 minutes right. and figure it out. Like, what is it that you want to go do? Whatever, you know, whatever that time slot is, you want to make it five minutes. Cause you know, you're so busy. Good. Make it five. Mm-hmm. And take the time to write it down. Whatever that is that you cannot guilt yourself or convince yourself because it'll help you become more entrepreneurial. If that's read an article in 
a Harvard Business Review or read an article on our site. We've got quite a bit of uh, blogs, quite a bit of information about marketing your practice and et cetera. What's our number one download? 50 Ways to Market Your Practice, I think. Is that right? 50 Ways to Market Your Practice, yeah. There it is. It's a quick introduction of a lot of different ideas. It really does. And it's like, I'm telling you guys, it takes five minutes to read that. And there's a lot more other insights that we've got up there. And it's not just on our site. There's a lot of different places where you can go. Certainly ours is the best. But but Michael, it is about habits. Like a lot of that entrepreneurialism is just about getting into the habit of looking for new stuff, being open to the idea of trying things. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's coming from a very cranky old man, me. (laughs) (laughs) I won't comment on that. I'm going to jump to one one more point before we need to wrap up for the day. So we've been talking a lot about how, what the practice can do here. I want to talk just very briefly about patient sentiment, about consumer sentiment here. So an SPH analytics survey found that 38% of consumers are unsure if if their health plan offers telemedicine. So we talked about how reluctant practices are, were to get involved in this, but hey, insurance jumped on board and actually said, okay, we'll pay for it. So practices started doing it, but a lot of patients are unsure about what their responsibility is. You know, am I stuck with the whole bill here? So even those among the the patients that know if their plans offer telehealth, 43% don't know the cost of the service. So, you know, one of the conversations that we've been having with one of the practices that we work with is that ability of the practice to really help answer patient questions. How does the practice make it as easy as possible to get going? You know, if they need a procedure, do is the responsibility of grabbing all the medical records, all the information from the other providers, is that all on the patient or is that something that the practice can help with and should help with even depending on the sentiment of the practice, right? But for the practices that are really willing to help with this stuff, can they get a patient on the phone and talk through these kinds of things? Can they work with them on their insurance plan to figure out what these kinds of things? From the same survey, it found that 31% of patients do not feel adequately informed about telehealth services. We've hammered so many times at this point now about how important it is for practices to communicate. Yes. And this is another step of like, yes, communicate about what you're good at, communicate about what services you offer. Look for these opportunities. What are the additional things that you can be communicating to your patients about that will really help them feel more confident? You know, is your office staff trained up on everything that they that the patient might want to know about telemedicine? Can the office staff put them in touch with the billing person or whomever to kind of help bridge those gaps? But but that's the thing, you know, so many patients don't necessarily know the right question to ask next. They don't necessarily know. I just, you know, but when you do start hearing that reluctance about telehealth, you know, if you hear from the patient side, kind of digging in a little bit and understanding where their concerns might be and how the practice might be able to help. So let's wrap it up. We've covered quite a bit here. I think one of the most exciting things that we're talking about right now is just where this entrepreneurialism has the opportunity to really explode for practices. There is so much tension around this and so much challenge around everything that's going on with Delta and whatever's coming next, right? But looking for these opportunities, really leaning into the areas where opportunities are growing, telemedicine is, is growing, but also, you know, practices, we definitely recommend take a look at those ideas you've been kicking around in the background for a while. What can you do to get ahead? What can you do to start changing this dynamic to where you're not 
always trying to play catch up because I, I that's right that's what there's it is. so many people that have been there that get stuck there you know right you know weaponize those ideas for good so to absolutely speak, you know, absolutely to everyone thank you so much for listening be well take care stay safe everybody thanks again for tuning in to the paradigm shift of healthcare. this program is brought to you by health connective custom marketing solutions for medtech and pharma subscribe on apple podcasts google play or anywhere you listen to podcasts